Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to come back to join together in worship, to see how you move in each one of our lives as individuals. You love us as a group, but you treat us all individually, Lord, because you know what each one needs. So, Lord, as we, we, we're here today, we know that we'll need to hear the words that, that you're going to have Frank present us. Let them come into us. Let us hear and let, let us embrace them in our hearts. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Operation Christmas Child's going on. I see the table's getting a few more things on it. So just as a reminder, please uh, uh, bring things in there. Bible study's not this week, right, Robert? That's next week. Okay. Uh, if you happen to miss a Sunday, Glenn, it's good to see you, and you've missed a number of Sundays. So we got a whole <laughs> bunch of podcasts that, uh, that you can catch up on, and then you'll be tested on next Sunday. Uh, <laughs> and thank you, John, for, for doing that. For, um, we're, we are continuing with our Bible studies in, in, on Exodus. Uh, you know, we're into the good part. We had, there was a little exodus this morning as we were missing four people that are n normally there. But uh, they missed some of the, you know, those first good uh, plagues, you know. You, you got to have those good things. You know, they're really exciting. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're at that part, and it, it's, it's really good. Um, We've got the, the, the potluck and stuff on here, but we're still just doing the prayer time, and we're doing it via Zoom uh, starting at 7 o'clock, right? So we're, we're not meeting for dinner yet. If we have nothing else, let us worship our Lord. So Bonnie, you know, is still managing flowers in Wisconsin having a great time, I hear, and they're selling flowers like crazy, and she's working very hard. So um, that's why I'm still doing our um, word for the day out of Billy Graham. And today, before I, the church began, uh, Cheryl and I were talking, and I've been talking to a few other people, and I know very many people are suffering through unusual circumstances and trials in their life. And so I believe that this, um, this word is uh, powerful and um, germane. Power for problems. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. A friend told me of a non-believer who came to him in the midst of a troubled day. Knowing my friend was a Christian, the man asked, if I get born again, will all of my problems go away? <laughs> no, said my friend, but you will have the power to deal with them. God will give us wisdom and courage. He will surround us with brothers and sisters in Christ to help carry our burdens, and he will even provide us with insight and practical assistance. Satan will always try to discourage those who belong to Christ. When problems persist, he may even whisper, See, see, God doesn't care about you. But with the Holy Spirit's help, we can combat the evil one and contradict his lies. If God dismissed all our problems with a single stroke, we would be left defenseless, unequipped to meet the inevitable attacks of the enemy of our souls. But in the midst of life's problems, God supplies everything we need to see us through. Our hope for today, Job had heard of God and lived a righteous life, but following his trials, he declared, now my eyes see, my eye sees you. Every time we face an obstacle and prevail, we see God at work and our faith is strengthened. If you'd like to stand and join us, I saw the light. I 
saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside.
to start out today that, you know, in the midst of this pandemic and with the riots and everything that we're having, I think it's a real push that uh, God's trying to tell us that we need to pray for forgiveness for ourselves and for the world. And so if we can all remember to do that through the week, it would be a fantastic thing to do. Our reading today comes from Psalms 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Lord, <clears throat> the Lord of, excuse me, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to sing, Lord, I'm coming home.
The New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Pretty amazing, huh? If you take your bulletin, we have the responsive reading. We praise your abiding guidance, O Lord. You sent us Jesus, our teacher and Messiah, to model for us the way of love for the whole universe. Offer these prayers of love on behalf of ourselves and our neighbors, on behalf of your creation and our fellow creatures. Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know all belongs to you. And for some reason that some of us just can't understand, you've entrusted some parts of it to us. Lord, you've looked in our souls. You've looked, you know us, and you've said, I'm going to trust you with this, and I'm going to trust that you will share, that you will reach out to others, that you will help those that are in need on my behalf. Because it's not, you could do it all, but for us to really appreciate who you are and how you want us to be, we must be ones that also share. So, Lord, we ask you to bless the gifts that are given today, that, that they may go to make others understand the love that you should have for all of us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. God bless you all. And special uh, uh, commendation, special uh, thanks for... Bill and Cheryl for 50 years. That's uh, quite an accomplishment, isn't it? And they work together. <laughs> and they work together. <laughs> yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. Thank you for your word that sets us free, uh, puts, puts wings on us, Lord, so we can fly. And we thank you that you are a God who inspired Scripture, but you also quickened Scripture to our hearts. And I pray that you'll do that today, that you will quicken your word to our hearts, that we might hear clearly uh, what you're saying. And I pray that you will take uh, something either that we've sung or something that I will say or uh, something in this service today and speak to our hearts to build us and make us strong in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the text this morning is Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It's in your bulletin. Um, actually, it's in the Bible, but it's also in your bulletin. <laughs> uh, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now really what this passage is talking about this morning is the importance of, um, of understanding uh, false teaching and understanding where it's coming from and, and that Christ is the center um, and, and the word of God is the center. And so it's, it's, a, it's a reminder Paul is, is countering these false teachers. And he gives us in these verses some things by which we can identify false teachers. And then he turns us, of course, to Jesus. And we recognize wrong teachers and wrong teaching through two things that I want to concentrate on today. Their teaching and their lifestyle. And so let's take a, take a look at those. But before we start that, let's talk about, this is really kind of the core of Paul's teaching in, in terms of why he wrote this letter. And there it, he was countering what some scholars have called the Colossian heresy. And the Colossian heresy, we don't know whether the false teachers were in the church or whether they were outside of the church and drawing people in the church into this, uh, you know, this cult or this false teaching. But it doesn't matter in terms of you know, our analysis of it, which is the case. And we are constantly having to judge whether teaching is biblical or not, don't we? I mean, we are called as believers to be constantly examining, is this scriptural, is this, is this not? And, and reject that which is false teaching, reject false teachers, and hang on to that which is good. So let's talk about this Colossian heresy. One, one um, commentator calls it halakhic mysticism, and he gives five different uh, characteristics of this false teaching. And the first thing is that it was, it was Jewish, so it was, it was some kind of... Uh, aberration of the Jewish faith and Judaizers, and that would be that, that we need to add on to our faith, we need to add on to keeping the law, the ceremonial law, and, and uh, circumcision was a big one, eating of uh, certain foods and so on, all the ceremonial law. And so, it, remember, at the beginning of the New Testament, Christianity was really a Jewish sect uh, they were they were called Jews. They were, you know, who had who had become Christians. So many of these Judaizers felt that they should um, that you know we should keep all those Jewish laws, uh, but then add on to that grace. And Paul is making it clear in this in this book and also in other books or letter at that time that we're not going to add on grace onto the law, that it's grace and grace alone. Secondly, there was a kind of dualism that was found among Jews, and that is, dualism is that there is that which is physical and that which is spiritual, and we keep those separated. And Paul is making it clear that they're not separated, that that which is physical is spirit. There, there's a, uh, there, certainly there's a spiritual realm, but there's not a secular and then and sacred. They're, they're one. Thirdly, that they had a propensity to entangle themselves with the elemental powers of this world. So there was a spiritual component in it and a spiritual component of uh, these, these uh, spirits. And that's where the mysticism come in. And then, then they had a world-denying asceticism that they felt that you needed to 
uh, do certain things you know, bodily and discipline yourself, and through the discipline then you can reach, uh, you can reach Christ. And possibly they worshipped angels. So let me read to you. This is a, an imaginative letter that one um, you know, modern-day person um, s- <clears throat> dreamed up that came from the letters to these people in the church. Okay? So this is, uh, you know, this is not true. This is what this, this, you know, we're saying <clears throat> could have been. It says this, Dear Colossians, We know that you are experiencing hardships. No doubt you are aware that there are evil spirits and powers that have authority over our mortal world. These powers prey on the weakness of human bodies and flesh. Thus our world is fraught with cosmic chaos. Okay? So they believe that there was a chaos um, and, the, and that it came from the weakness of human bodies and flesh. We can offer, they say, through knowledge, wisdom, and teachings or traditions that can protect you from these malevolent forces. So the, the you know, what, what uh, this imaginative letter, what this, um, this imaginative person is saying, is that they could protect through, from these false spirits through uh, wisdom, knowledge, and teaching. By controlling, combating, and disciplining your own frail body, you can resist these powers. That's the asceticism. Circumcision and strict ritual Torah obedience are particularly effective in counteracting these hostile spirits. So, yeah, so there's this, this malevolent spiritual realm out there, and what you need to do is to follow all the Jewish laws, and that'll give you power over these uh, malevolent spirits. Once you have submitted yourself to such dis- disciplines of the body, you will gain access to the celestial world receiving divine wisdom, visions, and provisions to fight against the weakness of the flesh that the evil powers use against you. We can offer you the proper route to spiritual fullness and perfection. Remember we, we, we said a couple of weeks ago that Christ is the fullness. Christ is the perfection. And it's only Christ, and it's only grace in Christ. And what they were saying, these false teachers, is that we can help you. Um, <clears throat> In other words, it's not enough. Christ isn't enough. You need need a pathway. And we have the way that you can get there. That's basically what they were saying. So it's really legalism. Christ is not enough. We cannot overcome, they would say, our sinful nature through self-imposed discipline. No, they were saying you could. I'm sorry. Um, And John Mostrom calls legalism a choice of our sinful nature. So legalism, in other words, it is we receive Christ by grace and grace alone, and we believe in him and we come to faith in him, but then legalism says, well, that's not enough. We need to add to that uh, certain rituals and certain things so that you can actually enjoy Christ's presence. Christ is not enough. So in other words, they, had, they were trying to move move, I'm sorry, from religion to relationship. All right, let me say that again. So what God asks us to do is to move from religion. God did not call us to religion, even the Christian religion. He called us to relationship. All right, religion says you've got to add something to Christ. Relationship says Jesus is enough. Jesus is the head. John 15, 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus makes it really clear that we cannot and will not bear fruit unless and until we remain in the vine. So Christ is sufficient. Christ alone is what we are seeking. Matthew eleven twenty eight following says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in other words, Jesus didn't call us to be rule keepers. He called us to be relationship builders. He calls us to walk with him, and he will transform our inner lives so that we become more than rule keepers. 
He's more interested in who you are than in what you do. Okay, let me say that again. Christ is more interested in who you are inside, deep inside, that inner being, than in what you do. And as Christians, it's, you know, it's very easy for us to concentrate, and I would say especially American Christians, concentrate on the things that we do and neglect that which is the, the, the inner man. And Jesus says, no, <clears throat> that he wants to minister to the inner man. He wants transformation in the inner man. And out of that will flow good works. Put him first, remain in him, and then good works will follow. And he knows that a right heart condition will produce the right works. So he's calling us to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's totally different. It's counterculture. It operates with totally different rules. When we follow man-made rules, we are by definition concentrated on this world, not on heavenly things. So Jesus calls us to follow a person, not a set of rules or principles. Jesus will, Jesus will lead us, and, and certainly there'll be rules, but they're going to be different kinds of rules. They're going to be, God, you know, the rules that Jesus sets up. And the problem with legalism is, we say, I, you know, I can do that. I can, I can set up these rules, and I'll get to Christ. Christ says, no, come to me, delight yourself in me, and then I'll help you to do what you're called to do. We're following a person not a set of rules and principles. And only Christ can help us navigate the rough waters of our life on this earth and bring good out of the things that happen to us. That's what we were uh, reading about this morning. But the false teachers had designed a whole system of how to get to God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's through him and only through him that we get to God. Galatians 1, um, Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, let me make it clear. All of us have elements of false teaching in us that we think. I mean, all of us are a mixture of false teaching and right teaching. Um, because we've all come from a place of unbelief. And we've all come from and been educated in, um, you know, in, the, in secularism and in humanism and so on. And so all of us are replacing wrong, false teaching with true teaching. That's what it means to be transformed by in the renewing of your mind is that we are gradually, um, we are gradually replacing those rules and principles with a knowledge of Christ. We're all in process. We grow only as our focus is on Christ. So let's talk then about what true teaching is. You know, they say if you want to, uh, when they train people to spot uh, counterfeit bills, the way they do it is to train them in, uh, in the right bill, you know, in, in that which is not counterfeit, and then they will recognize easily the counterfeit. So let's, let's talk about true religion. What is then true religion? True teaching. And there's two elements to it. <clears throat> First is that Christ is the head. Christ is at the center. And we pursue after Christ and Christ alone. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So whatever our teaching is, Christ is at the center of that teaching. Secondly, in verse, in verse 19, he has lost connection with the head. So you see, Christ calls us to a family relationship. And the Bible is a book about how to live out our new relationship with Christ. Connecting with Christ is totally different from practicing religion. Now, there's always going to be false teaching in the, in the church, so the best antidote, as we've said, is to put Christ at the center and focus on him. And if I could characterize this whole passage, 
It's this way. Why be content with a shadow of truth when we have the reality of truth living inside of us? Let me repeat. Why be content with a shadow of truth when we have the reality of truth living within us? We have Christ dwelling in our hearts. Why be content with a shadow which tries to get us there? Second part of true religion is that it's based on Scripture. Colossians 2.22. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. The problem with legalism is they are, it is based on human commands and human teachings. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I love that. I love this, uh, you know, this particular verse. And that word for God breathed is theopneustos, which means theo, God, and penustos, which means spirit. It's breathed or breathed out of God. All scripture has been breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Psalm 1, 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So we are called, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are called to delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. And if we if, um, soak ourselves in God's word, then God will bring transformation in our lives. There's a, uh, a book that we've read recently, Caroline and I did. Actually, Caroline read it first, and she referred it, me to it. Uh, it's called, uh, by Dr. Caroline Leaf, it's called Switch on Your Brain. Any, any of you read that? Um, very interesting book. She is a brain researcher, and she goes through, but she's also a Christian, and the whole focus of the book is that if we meditate on scripture, and that you, you can show through brain research that you're actually, your brain is actually becoming healthier. The more that you meditate on God's word, and it's just God's word. When you meditate on God's word, something changes, the, the enzymes or whatever it is in your brain begin to change, and those pathways that have been, destru- you know, been destroyed begin to, be, to begin to be healthy, begin to be restored. It's very, you know, very fascinating. I mean, we know that from Scripture, but now brain researchers have gone through and showed us, uh, yes, this is actually true. You are actually helping your brain when you meditate on Scripture. It does something to you. And we are not going to grow or know how to grow in Christ without a regular habit of meditating on Scripture. Why? Because it is, you know, it is supernatural. And it's coming from the kingdom of God. You are not going to get Christ through any kind of human means. You've got to get what God has given and soak ourselves in what God has given. And that's why I believe in exegetical teaching. As you notice, we've been going through the book of Colossians. Um, I love exegetical preaching because it forces me as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, to deal with texts that I just as soon not deal with, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I mean, there's, there's, there's passages that you go, wow, you know, what am I going to do with that? But, but you've got to deal with it. And, we've, and so I believe it, you know, the most honest, I mean, I'm not saying I never preach any, you know, topically, but I believe the most honest preaching is exegetical preaching. We just simply look, look at the text and we say, what does it mean to us? What does it mean then? What does it mean today? So there's two parts to true religion then. And the first is human teaching. Okay? We just talked about that not to go to human teaching, but to replace it with divine teaching. With the, with the word of God. The second part is human commands. 
or, or a lifestyle. And the problem with the false teachers was not just that they, that they thought wrong, it's that their lives were wrong. Their lifestyles were off. Colossians 2.22, going back to our text. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So let's look at some of the aspects then of a wrong lifestyle that the, that the false teachers were living. And the first thing is that true religion yields true humility. Okay? And we saw in this text, twice, Paul refers to false humility. Okay, so what's false humility? False humility is a pretext of humility in order to gain acceptance by people who value an appearance of humility. So in other words, in some circles, it's, it's a virtue to be humble, and so it's easy for us as Christians to, to, um, to socially to try to be humble or to appear humble without actually being humble. Okay? And I believe that the, the number one problem for us as Christians is pride. I mean, as human beings, is pride. And we, and we Christians as well. Um, and, and when deal with us, I know in my own life, it's easy when God begins to humble us. How <laughs> many of you have been through that? Okay? I mean, it's, it's uh, God has his way of producing genuine humility in us. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And he brings us to the place where we honestly and truly from the bottom of our hearts believe that others are better than we are. That's genuine humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we were first um, saved, and we, uh, I, I think I've told this story before, um, Robert and Linda will relate to this, uh, we were up in a hippie commune up in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, up near Grants Pass, Oregon. And all of us hippies wanted to find some place to go to church. So there was a, an Assemblies of God church in Grants Pass. And so we all started to go to that church, and they welcomed us, and they were glad to have us there. And, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, we'd been there for some time going to the church on Sundays. And we went to a picnic one day after church. This was in the summer. There was a picnic after church. And so we went to the picnic. And in the course of that picnic, all of a sudden we hear this shouting. And, and we're going, what on earth is that? And so we, we went in to see what was going on. And there were two people in there. One was uh, one of the elders and another was a, a, a lady in the church, an older lady in the church. And they were fighting about, now listen to this, who was more spiritual? <laughs> now, now, here we were, green, you know, green behind the ears, um, not understanding what, I mean, when I came to Christ, even though Caroline and I had both grown up in the church, when I came to Christ, I knew nothing about Christianity. I mean, I was just, I was, you know, I just knew nothing. And here I was trying to learn what it means to, to live a Christian life, and here these two people arguing at the top of their lungs with each other about who is more spiritual. <laughs> who has greater spiritual maturity? And even at that time, I knew, yeah, there's something wrong with this. <laughs> this is not spiritual maturity, sorry. <laughs> I put you both in the spiritually immature play, uh, <coughs> camp there. <clears throat> One commentator said it this way, if we crucify ourselves, we will always use rubber nails. If we crucify ourselves, we will always use rubber nails, won't we? And so we can adopt a, you know, a, a, a kind of a 
a pretext of humility, a false humility, and that's what the false teachers were doing. But God wants us to bring, bring us to a place of genuine humility. Second thing is true religion comes through denial of self. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 20, 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So <clears throat> Jesus says, deny yourselves. Um, and, and really it's related to humility. We, we deny, you know, not that we exist, but that we, we it comes through blessing other people and being focused on other people, not through, through selfishness and focusing on ourselves. The false teachers were, were looking at asceticism and harsh treatment of the body. And that's not denial of self. Denial of self is looking to other people, looking to Christ. But asceticism and harsh treatment of the body were focused on what? On me. The focus is still on me. And the, the amazing thing is that denial of self actually leads to life. Isn't that something? When we deny ourselves, we actually end up finding life. And it seems like a total contradiction in terms um, until we try it. Matthew 10, 15, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so Christ says, deny ourselves, come as a little child, and learn <coughs> what it means to walk with Christ. Third thing is that true religion leads to godly character. Verse 19, he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God calls it to grow. And true religion, if we are truly following after Christ, we will, will work his character into our lives. We walk with Christ to learn from Christ how to be like Christ. And we identify false teachers by watching their lifestyle, their character. And the problem is, the, you know, if we are following man-made rules, then it's not going to produce godly character. It's going to produce just, you know, what ends up happening is either we get proud because we keep the rules or we get self-condemned because we don't keep the rules rather than a godly character. And it's easier to pursue man-made rules than to follow Christ because Christ is going to meddle with our whole character. He's going to change every part of us. If we're going to become like Jesus, lots has to go. True religion is moral. We have to embrace absolute truth, forsake moral, relative, moral relativism, and it leads to radical transformation through spiritual growth. That's what Christ is after. He's after nothing less than an absolute total transformation on the inside of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. See, that's what the false teachers were doing. They were, they were, they were conforming to, uh, to the pattern of this world. And Paul says in Romans, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it starts with an absolute transformation in our mind that works its way down deep inside of us through meditation on God's word and, and, and taking that word into our lives and living it out. And that begins to transform our life so that we spend time with Christ in order to be like Christ. Man-made rules don't require total transformation in the inner man. That's the problem with them. We can keep the rules and not change on the inside. It's easier to pursue man-made rules than to follow Christ. We come for a tune-up, Jesus offers a whole new car. Number four, true religion is separation from the world. Colossians 2.20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? So 
It says here, you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. There is a separation that takes place. And as we follow Christ, Christ is going to separate us, not, not take us out of the world, okay? Because we wouldn't have any impact on anybody else. But take our hearts out of the world. Take us to a place where, where our hearts are with Christ. And yes, we still do the same kinds of things we do, but our hearts changed. Our insides are changed. We're separated on the inside. 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14 and 17 say, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellowship, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And then verse 17, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Um, I guess you've been going through uh, the book of Exodus in, you know, in, in the Sunday morning. And if, you know, if I were to characterize the book of Exodus, it's, it's be separate from those nations around you. you know? And here's, all, here's the way that you can become separate. And I know in my own life, um, I've had to, to <clears throat> gradually, Christ is taking me through. Um, you know, not depending on this world and being separated from this world. Because his kingdom is, is, a, is, is not worldly. It's heavenly kingdom. And so gradually, when we are taken out of this world and dependence on this world and the principles of this world and the rules of this world and, and brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, that's what happened with liberal Christianity. I don't know how many of you came out of liberal churches, what we can call liberal churches, okay? Liberal churches uh, basically said, it's okay, uh, in order to be relevant to the world, we're going to to, we're gonna have to become a, a bit like the world so that we can win them to Christ. And it didn't work. Uh, because we... We are to be, and, and actually I believe, that the more that we are separate from the world, the more that we actually impact people in the world. Because people in the world are looking to see something different. They know that they don't have the power for life change, for, for genuine change on the inside. They know that. And they're looking at us as Christians and saying, do they have anything I don't have? And so the more that we can separate in our hearts from the ways of this world, the more that they look at us and say, oh, wow, they really do have something. They really do have power for change. They really are different than I am. And when we try to become like them, we actually water down the gospel. We have to water down the gospel. And that's what happened with liberal Christianity. They watered down the gospel in order to be relevant to the culture. Another illustration of this would be that I've been amazed with. Uh, Ravi Zacharias died this last, was it this week? I think it was Monday or something. Okay, another week ago. Um, I didn't watch the uh, funeral service on, on television, but I've been looking at a lot of Ravi Zacharias lately, and I have been amazed that Ravi Zacharias would go to the, you know, college campuses all over the world, these, these top-notch universities, and draw huge crowds. And all he did was just defend Christianity. And you have to ask, well, why? Why was he drawing those, those huge crowds? I'll tell you why. Because he, was, he, was, he knew what he believed. And those young people are looking for somebody that, who knows what they believe. And is living it out and can defend it, because they know that they don't have the truth. Fifth, true religion gives us spiritual power for restraint from sensual indulgence. Colossians 2.23. Such regulations have, a, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The test of true religion is that it gives us power to say no to our own sinful nature. All of us have a sinful nature, whether we're Christians or not. God doesn't take our sinful nature away. He gives us power to be able to overcome it. 
And true religion, following after Christ, gives us the power to be able to say no to those things that, are, that destroy us. First Peter, I, I love this verse, 2.11, I'm sorry. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, now listen to this, which war against the soul. The problem with our sinful nature is that it wars against our own soul, who we are. It destroys us on the inside. And so Paul says true religion is that which gives us power that we can restrain sensual indulgence. <clears throat> Again, that's what people are looking at, saying, do you have power over that sinful nature? Because every person knows there's something wrong in the inside if they're honest with themselves. There's something, they're, they're, the main spring is off. There, there's something at the core of our being that's wrong. And they're saying, do you have power to overcome that sinful nature? Romans 7, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What Christ wants to do is to teach us how to live and serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Legalism and rule keeping. He wants to give us life. And out of that life, <clears throat> then will come more life. Well, in conclusion then, um, we were reading earlier and talking earlier about the, the latter days and how, you know, I don't know whether we're in the latter days or not. You know, I'm not much of an eschatologist, um, but I do know that it sure looks a lot like it. <laughs> you know, if, if we're not actually in those latter days and Jesus is coming back, you know, soon, it sure looks like he is, and there are lots of signs to that effect. And I believe we are increasingly going to be forced to identify false teachers. Matthew 24.10. Jesus is talking about the latter days. He says, at that time many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So I believe that, we've, that, that it behooves us as Christians to know, first of all, to dig into God's word and meditate on God's word and soak ourselves with God's word and then allow God's word to change us from the inside out because that's what's going to give us the power to be able to stand in latter days. I don't know what's coming, but I'll tell you, it doesn't look good. Um, you know, it just looks like, like chaos is ensuing right now. We've got to have, we've got to be equipped both in our thinking but also in our lifestyle to be able to handle what's coming down the pike.
Father, let us take your word. Let us hear your word. Let your word seep into our being. Let us understand that your word, your grace, is all that we really need. We don't need to add more to it, nor should we try. Let us have that faith that, you have, that your son shared with us, all that we need to know all that we need to practice. And Lord, let us practice it. Let us be part of every day. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God.